text for our consideration this morning requires a little bit of uh, introduction. The uh, congregation in the city of Corinth uh, apparently had a young man who was having an affair with his father's wife. Uh, we assume a step, um, stepmother. And the congregation was aware of it and apparently had no problem with it. And so St. Paul has heard of this and is now addressing this. And we have the text before us. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged, as though I were present, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. Years ago, I was working with a friend who was a wonderful Christian man, had attended Bethany years ago, and, and uh, I always thought he would have made a great pastor. And I just mentioned to him, you should have gone into the ministry. He said, I really did seriously consider it a lot when I was at Bethany. But the thing that kept me from doing it was I realized I might someday have to go and talk to somebody about a sin that they're in. And I just didn't think I had the personality to be able to do that. <laughs> and I'll have to admit, the times when I've had to do that as a parish pastor, when I was serving congregations in four different calls and churches, that uh, those were the toughest things I ever had to do. And... Um, uh, one time I remember having to go confront a man who was clearly living in adultery against his wife. And, and I remember the night before I couldn't sleep. I remember getting tears in my eyes as I got to his office and I was almost shaking as I started talking to him and, and confronting him with his sin. It was really not an easy thing at all. And he was, he was stone hard against wanting to come back to what God said. And that was really, really a tough day. I hope and pray his heart has changed since. Pastors are not trained to primarily do things like that, although it is part of our duties. But our primary thing that we hope and wish to do is to pronounce the wonderful forgiveness and grace that we have in God and to lead people to see how heaven has been opened to us through the work of Christ. And Jesus, at the same time, gives to his church what he calls the keys, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, just like keys to a door. And uh, in the same way that through the gospel we unlock heaven for people and when they realize their sin and what a wonderful Savior we have in Jesus, our Lord, and what he's done for us. But there may be times when we have to go to a Christian who's now fallen into sin, like in the situation before us in the text, and lock the doors of heaven to them by hope, hoping, of course, that they will someday repent. The situation in Corinth is 
pretty startling, even, even in today's modern age, with as immoral as our culture has gotten. Uh, things could get pretty rough back then, too. And he says to the congregation, when you gather together, when you're together for a church service, and you have this man in your, in your congregation now who is living in this horrible, adulterous situation, don't act like it's a great thing and like you're fine with it which is what they'd been doing. But instead, he says, take this man and, and bring him in front of you and hand him over to Satan. Now think what that means. That means w- with what you're doing right now, if you keep living this way, unrepentant, not sorry for your sin before God, you keep living in this, you might as well just go and live with Satan because that's where you're going to be after you die. That's really what Paul is saying. That's pretty harsh harsh language. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine a, uh, well this actually happened back in May, uh, over in Israel there's a zoo where a little six-year-old boy decided it would be fun to try and climb down into a lion's cage. And sad to say before anybody could get to him, he was killed by the lion. But imagine that there were two men watching that event and saw the boy go over and could possibly have done something about it. Imagine one of them thinking to himself, that little boy thinks he's going to go have some fun and I don't want him to be upset with me, so I'm going to let him be. And the other man thinks, I don't care if that kid kicks me and bites and screams at me and hates me, I have got to go take action to spare him from what's going to happen. So in that case, which one really showed true love to that boy, if that were the case? Sometimes we've got to do some pretty hard things in the church when someone is living in an unrepentant sin, and they just don't care what God says. And they want to profess as if they're still a Christian, but they want to keep doing what they know God clearly says is wrong. How do you handle those situations? Some churches are are like, well, we don't, we don't want anybody to be offended with us. We don't want anybody to be bothered with us. We'll let them go. We'll just, we'll just hope it'll work itself out. But God commands us to go to those situations in love and care and concern for the person and to try to talk to them and bring them back in repentance. Do it quietly, one-on-one first, and then bring a couple with you, and finally maybe the whole church has to address it, Jesus says. Christians can sometimes permit themselves to fall into some pretty horrific sins. This, this young man in the congregation here certainly had. But the problem we have too is we live today in a culture that loves to take sin lightly. It's, it treats it like, oh come on, what is the big deal? Our whole world is going one direction. As long as we're kind of good about things, aren't we fine? Everybody's got sin. Everybody's doing something wrong. And so the church feels a pressure from the culture to to likewise go easy on things and and to to take sin lightly. And we can kind of fall into that delusional thinking too. The bottom line though is there's a God. And there's a God who will ultimately judge each one of our souls. And he's the one that determines whether we get to come into heaven or not. And even though our culture may change its rules and ideas of what sin is, that that doesn't matter. 
God is the one who determines, and his word doesn't change. As much as we may want it to and want to tell our culture and tell our churches, well, we don't have to worry about things. If God's word has said something, it's firm, and that's not going to change on Judgment Day. God isn't going to look up what year you lived in on Judgment Day as if there's a different set of principles. His word is firm, and it's always firm. Sin is certainly sin in all of its forms. Um, How we individually handle our sin is what is really at stake here. Many Christians, myself included, have fallen into some really stupid, dumb, bad, awful things. But there's a difference between how we handle sin. When we, when we treat sin like, well, I don't care what God says, I'm going to keep doing it. And when we're even shown about it and told about it and we still don't care, that's a concrete, deliberate type of sinning. That's the dangerous type of sinning. That's different than the person who recognizes his or her sin and comes back to God in repentance regularly and says, Lord, forgive me, I have fallen again. That's a different type. The sin may be the same, but it's how your heart deals with sin. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says. Listen closely to this passage. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have come to the knowledge of the truth, No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment. What that means is what Christ did on the cross gets thrown away if you're going to live in an unrepentant state about your sin. And that's why Paul addresses the congregation here and says, you need to address this. You need to go talk to this man and and bring bring him to realize how important his situation is. Because if sin goes unchecked, not only for that individual, but it can have a a negative rippling effect out on a congregation as well. When when sin is not addressed and taken care of, it can have a permissive reign in in a church. And I know I had a situation many, many years ago in a congregation I was serving where somebody had fallen into sin that was starting to become public, and I finally tried to address it. And I had a a gentleman in the congregation come to me later, a father who had a teenage daughter, and he said, I'm really glad, even though it ticked a few people off, that I had gone and sat down to try to bring this person back, a couple back, to what God wanted. But he said, I'm really glad you did this because my daughter learned a lesson from this. We had a chance to talk about it around the dinner table. And it it really... demonstrated to me what Paul is addressing here, how these things can become infectious in a congregation if it's not dealt with. So, notice the motive that Paul puts in front of the congregation. Why were they supposed to deal with it the way they did and bring this man and kind of, in a sense, hand him to Satan, hoping he will repent and come back? He says, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And and bottom line, that is what the church is here for. The day of the Lord Jesus, will you and I be ready? That's, that's, That's what this whole thing is all about. Will you and I be ready for the moment of judgment? And we only are ready for that through faith in the Savior that we have who has paid for all of our sins with his holy and precious blood shed for each one of us. 
And that forgiving, wonderful, compassionate grace of God that washes over us in our baptism, that we, that we grab onto by faith, uh, that we live in, that wonderful grace that we live in, that's exactly what is at stake here. It's interesting that in his next letter to the Corinthians, St. Paul brings up what many think is the same situation about this man who apparently stayed with the congregation and it appears was penitent and sorry for his sin. And then Paul reminds them as members of the church, forgive and comfort him and reaffirm him, reaffirm your love for him. Uh, he reminds the congregation to have a, a forgiving, tender heart towards someone who has fallen into a sin like this. Jesus tells us that when repentance happens in a person's heart and we come back inside of God's grace to the, the wonderful forgiveness our Savior has given us, knowing that as his children we're bound for heaven, we're told, Jesus says, what, that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. So when that happens in, in your heart by the work of the Holy Spirit, you're kicking off a party in heaven. Isn't that wonderful to think how how, how precious the grace is that we have of God and how important it is, that little thing that's happening inside of our hearts, when we realize our sin, confess it, and then hear of God's grace and forgiveness in Christ that covers all sin, that heaven rejoices when that takes place. God be praised. Amen. Please rise. And we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, we beseech you for the sake of your great mercy, be gracious to all of us through Christ. Forgive us all of our sins, and so govern us by your Holy Spirit that we may not ourselves be the cause of sickness and other afflictions, whether spiritual or physical. Keep us in your fear and strengthen us by your grace that we may escape temporal and eternal wrath and punishment through the wonderful grace of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen.